bountiful, beautiful bridges have been built since way back when. They are modern marvels which exemplify both form and function. These simple yet complex structures that span the planet are also symbolic. As you'll see, they are often referenced in idiomatic expressions everywhere, from Egypt to Ecuador. But none are quite as iconic as the one in Lower Manhattan that links the island to the borough of Brooklyn. We'll break down the Brooklyn Bridge on this week's episode of FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. Welcome to this, another exciting edition of FYI for your Inglés. And today, folks, we are going to cross the Brooklyn Bridge, one of the most famous landmarks in one of the most famous cities, New York, as we pronounce it. New York, New York. The city so nice, they named it twice. All right, amigos. Well, before we get started, I just wanted to thank each and every one of you FYI has been growing tremendously. Not only are we on the cusp of a half a million downloads, but also, folks, we are in the top charts. I'm happy to announce that we are number 26 in Spain when it comes to language learning. In the education category, we are number 58. This is in Spain. That's awesome, guys. Just to give you an idea, if you're in the top 200, you are definitely in good shape. So thank you, thank you, thank you, FYIers. As you know, this show could never grow without your help. So remember, if you want to help out, spread the word. Tell your friends there's a fun way to learn English while you learn about a new topic every single week. And I want to send a special shout out to all my friends in Argentina. Argentina, we are number 83 in language learning. So what's up, amigos, wherever you're tuning in from. And if you haven't rated the show, go over and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, as many of you know, I do a lot of other things. As we say, I wear many hats. And just recently, I released my fifth book with my partner, Damian Moya. It's called This Book is the Shit. And I know what you're thinking. If you don't get the title, well, listen to this little ad we put together. Y fin. Oh, Alberto. the end. Oh, man, that was the never-ending story. Lo hemos conseguido, hemos terminado nuestro tercer libro. Oh, but wait a second. It just dawned on me. Me acabo de dar cuenta. We don't have a title. Uh, ¿Cómo llamamos al libro? ¿Cómo lo llamamos? This book is the milk. Tres? No, that's too generic. This book is the requete milk. Mm, es que ya hemos hecho the remilk. No I sé. think we've milked that idea. Hemos exprimido esa sí, idea. Sí, la hemos ordeñado demasiado, la verdad. I've got one. This book is the shit. Pero, ¿eh? 
Facebook is the shit, pero ¿qué va a pensar la gente? ¿Que el libro es una mierda? No, 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 lo contrario. Significa, de verdad, este libro es la leche. ¡Ah! ¿En serio? ¿This book is the shit es algo bueno? Sí, hombre. No nos confundamos aquí. This book is shit es lo peor. This book is the shit. No hay nada mejor. Así se aprende inglés con This book is the shit. Por Alberto Alonso y Damián Moya. That's right. This book is the shit. It is the third in the milk collection. So if you have the bestseller, This book is the milk, And the follow-up, which is the remilk, which has been rebranded as This Book is the Milk 2, well, this is the third in the saga, and it's called This Book is the Shit. If you want to pick up a copy, you can pick it up at vontienda.com or, as we say, wherever fine books are sold. And it's a book for people who hate English and people who love English. It's for everybody. And another way you can support the show is not just buying my books, but also you can join our community. We've got an amazing community over on Patreon where we're learning every single week. So aside from this episode, you can get a bonus episode every week. You can get private classes with me if you're in our interstellar level. You can get weekly review classes with me if you're in our super duper level and also PDFs and tons of other things. Plus, you have access to me 24-7. But as I always tell my students, don't expect me to answer you at 3 a.m. I'll answer you at a godly hour. If you just want to find out more and see what it's about, go to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso and you can find out more. And if you want a free sample, just reach out, dime algo, and I'll send you some free samples. And I'm always looking for suggestions for future episodes. So make sure you reach out no matter what. Tell me what you think of the show. Tell me you want some free samples. Whatever you want to say, I'd love to hear from you. And thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for choosing to learn English with me. And thank you for all the constant support. And I want to send a shout out to all my patrons, especially my super duper students, Javier, Paco, Roberto, David, Jose Maria, Mila, and Alex. And don't forget about my interstellar students, the ones that get a private class with me every month. And those are Carmen, Lina, Isa, Paco, and Edgar. Again, more information at patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. All right, so let's take a look at this intro over here. As always, I try to teach you some vocabulary in each intro. The first word was bountiful. That means a lot. It's another way of saying a lot or many. Bountiful, beautiful bridges have been built since way back when. That's another way of saying since a long time ago. Then I said, these are modern marvels. You want me to let you in on a little secret? I got the idea for FYI from a show that used to be on the History Channel called Modern Marvels. See if you can find it on YouTube. Search for Modern Marvels, the History Channel. Then I said they exemplify both form and function. And this is very important when it comes to architecture. Is it aesthetically beautiful? Great. But is it useful? Can we use it? Does it have a function? And this is both. 
It's beautiful in form and function. Then I said these simple yet complex structures that span the planet are also symbolic. And to span is atravesar. I use that word on purpose. You'll see it later on. It's used often with bridges. And then I wrapped up saying, as you'll see, como verás, they are often referenced in idiomatic expressions everywhere. And in the bonus part, we're going to take a look at all those idiomatic expressions that we use that have to do with bridges. And then I used some more E's in there. I said, Egypt to Ecuador. Now, I'm not going to teach you how to pronounce Ecuador, but Egypt, I've heard a lot of students say Egypt. Just think of the song. Walk like an Egyptian is Egypt, como y Latina. But then I said, none are quite as iconic as the one in lower Manhattan that links the island to the borough of Brooklyn. And let's see, I'm going to test your New York trivia. We've looked at this on past episodes. What are the five boroughs that make up New York City? Manhattan. Come on, that's easy. The next one? Brooklyn. This is the one that the Brooklyn Bridge connects. Then you've got Queens. Then you've got Staten Island. A little New York trivia to get you going. And then I said we'll break down the Brooklyn Bridge. And to break down is to simplify something. I guess we should start at the beginning. What was happening in the early 19th century in New York City. Well, it was a crowded place. There were a lot of people moving there from all over the world. So obviously transportation was a huge issue. They needed to be able to move people around easily and quickly. And up until then, they were crossing into Manhattan on a ferry. There's just one problem. In the winter, the water freezes over. So they could spend hours just trying to cross that little river. Because if you think about it, it's not that wide. We'll get into the statistics a little bit later. But just imagine being on a ferry, crossing into Manhattan because you've got to go to work, and there you are, you're stuck in the ice. And you call up your boss, even though they didn't have cell phones back then. You say, hey, boss, I'm stuck in the ice. I guess that's not a good way to break the ice. <laughs> uh, Okay, all right, bad. But what I'm getting at is New York City needed to prepare to move all these people around or else it would be chaotic. And this, as much as it's a story about a bridge, it's also a story about a family, the Roebling family. And it took three Roeblings to get this done. And there was a lot of tragedy, which we'll look at as well. But it all started with John Roebling. Then his son, Washington Roebling, took over, and it was eventually finished by Emily Roebling. So it's the story of a dad, a son, and the daughter-in-law slash wife, and three people, and many other people it took, to get this bridge done. But if you were listening carefully, I just told you the bridge was finished by a woman, Emily Roebling. And we're going to talk a lot about her because it wouldn't have been done without any of those three Roeblings. And, well, of course, a little bribery. And bribes are sobornos. And we'll talk about that in the bonus part as well. The dark side, as I call it. So we'll start with Grandpa, or the dad. 
The Man of Steel. No, 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 I don't mean like Superman. I mean, Steel was his business. He was a German-born American civil engineer, and he had a business in Trenton where he sold wire rope. And as an engineer, he realized that the bridges up till that point were using hemp. And I think you say hemp is cardamomo, if I'm not... No, it's not cardamomo. Oh, no, 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 wait, I got it. It's cañamo. I always mix those words up. Well, the ropes were made of hemp, and there was just one problem. The hemp would fray. So after years, they would realize that these bridges weren't as strong as they were. So he had to find a way to make bridges that would be stronger and obviously last longer. And he found a way to take these wires, these metal wires, and kind of twist them around each other to make one strong metal wire. It's very common these days, but back then it was revolutionary. It was groundbreaking. And he ran a business in Trenton. Trenton is the capital of New Jersey, and it's called Roebling and Sons Wire Rope. So that was a little background. I mean, he was already working with the materials he needed to work with in order to build a groundbreaking bridge. And he had tons of credentials already. He had designed the Niagara Falls Suspension Bridge, the Ohio River Bridge, which is now called the John A. Roebling Suspension Bridge. And if you take a look at these two bridges, honestly, you will definitely see similarities between the Niagara Falls Suspension Bridge and the Ohio River Bridge, among other projects he worked on. But you could tell that he already had his style, his ideas that were different from all the other ones that we were seeing when it came to bridge construction. And he even had to stop doing what he was doing for a period, well, many Americans, because something was going on. Any history buffs know what was going on around that time? That's right, the American Civil War. So his, as with many other people's efforts, were placed elsewhere. But as we know, the Civil War ended, and when the dust settled, he went back to work on what he loved to do, building and designing bridges. And as I said, he was ambitious because nobody had used steel wire in their suspension bridge. So it was the first of its kind. And not just the technology, but the size. Since it was a stronger bridge, it could be made to be longer. And it was 1.5 times longer than any bridge ever built to that point. Another key element are the towers. At the time, they were the tallest structures in the Western Hemisphere. I think everybody in the world recognizes those towers. They're stone towers and they're in the Neo-Gothic style. And speaking of bridges, we're not going to get into an architecture lesson here, but this is a suspension bridge. There are arch bridges, beam bridges, truss bridges, cantilever, girder. But the one we're talking about, the one that John Roebling pioneered, is the steel wire suspension bridge. And construction started on the Brooklyn Bridge in 1869. It wasn't completed until 1883, but it wasn't so simple. Not at all. If you did the math, it took 14 years to build this masterpiece, and it took a lot of lives, including John's. 
In fact, John wasn't even there for the construction. He died before it even began construction. He started designing the project in 1867. And on June 28, 1869, he was standing at the edge of a dock and he was doing some tests and a ferry came and crushed his foot. They had to amputate his toes and he was a bit of a, a tough guy, so he refused further medical treatment. Well, due to this, his condition deteriorated, and he died on July 22, 1869, of tetanus. It was 24 days after the accident. So before he passed away, he named his son, Washington Roebling, as the chief engineer of the project. And as I said earlier, he didn't finish the project either. Well, what happened to Washington Roebling then, his son? Well, he suffered from something that was very common in those days, especially if you were a sand hog. And a sand hog is the term that they use for people who dig tunnels underground. It's not a very pleasant job, as we'll find out. And unfortunately, Washington, his son, Washington Roebling, died as well. He got the bends and he got very, very sick. The bends is called decompression syndrome. It's also a, a Radiohead song, The Bends. And we'll talk about it in the bonus part because many people who worked on the project suffered from the bends. And it took him a while to die. He was sick for a long time. It wasn't like his father who got sick in just a few weeks and died, but he was completely incapacitated. The only thing that worked was his brain. And in 1883, his wife Emily took over the project. At first, she was just his eyes and ears. He couldn't move, so he was bedridden. So he would use a telescope to look out the window and check on the progress of the bridge. And his wife, Emily, she would go and make sure that everything he needed to be done got done. She was his eyes and ears until she eventually had to take over everything when he passed. So two casualties already. Casualties are not coincidences. Casualties are bajas o pérdidas. And we're talking about the two guys who helped build it. The good news is Emily did not die, not before the construction of the bridge was completed. But you can just imagine the working conditions. 14 years working underground and they were using dynamite and they were using a new technology where they sent these caissons down. And a caisson, it sounds like a French word, it's like a little airtight compartment where the workers would be lowered into the water and they would be able to dig under there. Again, from being underground all day, many of them suffered from the bends and others died due to accidents on the construction site. And after 14 years and three Roeblings and the death of many other construction workers, Around 25 are what the estimates are. The bridge was finally completed. And it was against all odds. Contra todo pronostico. And as we'll see in the bonus part, 
there was even some illegal activity to get this bridge made. And then opening day came. It was May 24th, 1883, and at the time it opened up, it was the longest suspension bridge in the world. The main span, and remember to span is to cross, so the span is the part of the bridge where you walk or drive. That was 486.3 meters. Well, I shouldn't say was, is, continues to be. The deck, the deck is 38.7 meters. And that's the height. That's above the mean high water level. And mean is borde, but in this case, it's another way of saying average. And the Brooklyn Bridge held the title as the longest bridge in the world for 20 years until it was beaten by its neighbor, the Williamsburg Bridge. The opening day ceremony was presided over by President Chester A. Arthur and New York Governor Grover Cleveland, who would eventually go on to be president. Emily Roebling was given the first ride over the completed bridge. She had a rooster in her hand. Well, a rooster is a symbol of victory. And within 24 hours, more than 150,000 people walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. There was a military band, celebratory cannons were firing off in the background, and they even had a one-hour fireworks display. It's very American, I know. There were some speeches, and just before midnight, the bridge opened to the public, and it's been open ever since. That first day, we said 150,000 people walked across the bridge. Well, how many people crossed the Brooklyn Bridge per day nowadays? They say an average of about 116,000 vehicles, 3,000 bikers, and 30,000 pedestrians crossed the Brooklyn Bridge per day. And we're talking about a bridge that opened in 1883. It's still relevant as far as form and function. New York has a lot of bridges, but I think this is our most iconic one. And it's gone through many changes throughout the years, of course. When it first opened, it was for horse-drawn carriages, streetcar rail, that's very European, by the way, and also it had pedestrian traffic, peatonal. In 1950, it underwent a redesign, and now they added six lanes, carriles, and the Brooklyn Bridge has been renovated several times since then, in the 50s, the 80s, and even more recently in the 2010s. And anybody who's ever walked anywhere near this bridge, you don't even have to cross it, you'll know that it has a certain magic, a certain aura. It has its own personality. And I'm going to tell you all about it in the bonus part because I've crossed it a million times. But as the expression goes, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I sure hope you'll join us in the bonus episode of today's FYI.